We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And it's funny, D, usually this time of the season, we've, we have our team, right? Sometimes there's an extra addition right toward the end of the summer or a training camp ad or something like that. But you basically have your team together normally at this point. But this is not a normal offseason. And both of our leaders, Jeannie Buss and Rob Palenka, have gone on record and said, we're not done. We're not done this offseason. But most of the offseason is done, D, right? And so there is this kind of elephant in the room and we're kind of in this state of limbo of what will our team be? And usually like this point, we're like, oh, let's analyze all the players and, and we'll get to that for sure. But the guys that we settled are kind of the back half of the roster and they're important. We talked a lot last year about how you got to have NBA players in those spots. And if you don't, we kind of saw the consequences of not having those guys. But in terms of what this team's going to be, we don't really know yet. So I'm just curious, man, what are your thoughts on this kind of like state of limbo that we're in? So can I just say that Saying you're not done and actually not being done are two different things. Mm, mm-hmm. So, look, I'm not trying to be a wet blanket. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying to say it takes two to tango. And when you're saying that you're not done, but you have a roster with 13 players, and the only avenues to add players is to either you can sign two more guys. The Lakers have veteran minimum exceptions. Or well, and at this point, like no one's on the market, right? So that's not even a thing that's going to change your, yeah, your yeah. team. So that's not the language you use around. We're not done, right? You're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to sign a 14th man. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's really not the, the spirit of that language, right? And so you're talking about potentially making trades. And the idea of we're not done, like I think the front office and I, I know for certain – the majority, if not the vast majority and almost all of Lakers fans hope the team is not done. Because the thing that I'm going to say right now is this 13-man roster that currently exists and whatever veteran minimum guy you want to add to the 14th and or 15th spot, that's not currently the composition of a championship-level team. 
which mm-hmm. are what the stated goals are of those same executives in Rob Polinka and Jeannie Vuss when they have spoken outwardly and publicly, and they've both been on the record several times this offseason about what the pursuits of the team are. And so I just wanted to put that idea out there first, right? That there is there is this hope that the team is not done, right? Because I think the writing is on the wall that, okay, they've swapped out a middling cast of aged veteran players for a different cast of players who hopefully fit the tenor and tone and style that the team wants to play next season, but they have not added a difference maker, quote unquote, and any leap in what this team's outcome will be currently constructed is going to be based off of better health for the guys who are back and better performances from some of the players who are either the veteran guys who are back or the younger players who are sort of still growing into what they can be as NBA guys. And and so there's a gap there, Pete, that I think that's the elephant in the room, right? So we could talk about like specific guys and, oh, a trade here, or what are they going to do about X player or whatever. But the elephant in the room is that they know, they know this team Right now, the 13 guys, this isn't a championship team. And and so I just wanted to put that idea back out there before we go any further, because to me, that's the baseline of analysis and why the team feels like they do need to make another move. Yeah. And I think that judging the team before that's done is now we might get to training camp with the same team that I'm curious on how something like that that you're talking about impacts trade negotiations, right? Because if I'm negotiating with the Lakers and I think that, oh, y'all got to make a move, I'm just going to wait. Now, there are other teams with their own problems that are involved in this formula that they may not have that time, right? And so I I see kind of a big game of chicken in in a lot of ways. And this even goes beyond any negotiations the Lakers are are involved in. But just with Brooklyn's situation and with Kevin Durant uh, made a, a, a trade request, but he's got four years left on his contract. I remember when Kobe did the same thing with three, four years left on his deal. Now, different circumstances, him and Dr. Buss went way back, did one champion chips together. There was much more equity equity and common ground, right? But Kevin Durant with four years left on his deal, like a player like that comes available on the trade market or makes a trade request like once a decade, like one of the best players in the league that is signed for many, many years. And so there's like we're not the only team that's kind of in this in-between state. And and I think that there's kind of this larger game of chicken going on in that respect. And I don't really see it ending like there's not a natural deadline for somebody to kind of budge off of their current position, I'd argue, really until training camp. And that's late September. So I don't know. I'm kind of in a position where I've been kind of buckled in for the long haul on what this will this team will be. And we'll talk, do our best to talk about it kind of in this in-between state, you know, as, as best we can. But I think that's ultimately where we stand, man, is, is like there's there's not really a reason for anyone to move off of their position until something else happens. Yeah. And that's where the idea of what's your appetite for patience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so my sense from being online and just listening and reading comments from Lakers fans and just the general vibe is patience is starting to wear out. 
right? And I don't know if it's patience from a frustration standpoint as much as it is patience from a, like, we need to know what's going to be. And the idea that, like, things might be slipping out of the Lakers' grasp. So recent reports are that Donovan Mitchell is now on the trade market, right? We just saw news happen um, yesterday at the time that we're recording this. There was the the big DeAndre Ayton is about mm-hmm. to sign his offer sheet, and then he does sign the offer sheet, and then the Suns quickly match. And, and so there are offseason dominoes that are still in play, right? You mentioned the Kevin Durant thing. And there are still things that are happening. But from the Lakers' perspective, I think fans are sort of like, okay, well, yeah, there's still that thing that the Lakers want to do, right? Is is that still going to happen? And if it is going to happen, can it happen soon? Because you have to figure that if there's change on the horizon, it's not going to be a one-for-one thing. It's not going to be like, oh, I give you this thing, you give me that one thing, and now the 13-man roster that I had before is a 13-man roster today, and all I did was give away one thing and get one thing back, and now everything clicks into place. I don't envision that's how this is going to work at all, Pete. Totally agree. And so the prospects of the we're not done, oftentimes that can be looked at as, okay, well, I'm going to make one move, and then that's that. But we all know transactional NBA stuff. It's rarely one move unless it's the final move. And this Lakers roster doesn't feel like final move away from nope. its final thing, right? And and so let's go to break here because on the other side of this, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the, the idea of, oh, okay, well, if they're not done, Is it step one of we're not done? Is it step two, three, four? Because there is going to be another process on the other side of not done that I think is going to influence the direction of the team in the first place. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what say you about this, Pete? Because this is kind of where I am. There's potentially a move on the horizon, but that move to me is only going to trigger potentially one or two more moves. And I could see the landscape of this roster shifting way more than what it would seem like when you're this far into the offseason. Just according to reports, it seems like the Lakers have three paths. 
number one is running back with Russ. Number two is keep a three-star type of build. And the other one is trade for a couple of rotation guys and, you know, build out your depth. And I think those are three distinctly different paths. And we, we have to choose the correct one. And we have to walk down it with caution, meaning that I'm not in the place where I'm like, throw everything, do whatever you have to, because I don't think that we're one player away, right? I think we're going to have to have something left over. Ideally, this is what I'd like to see, D, is I'd like to see us come out on the other side of it with something that we could move with one of our young players, either at the deadline or a separate deal that can bring back a, a player that can contribute because even under the best circumstances i'd see a top three that's brilliant and then kind of a gap in that four five six even seventh man and then several guys who are like eighth ninth tenth men which is good from a regular season standpoint in terms of depth you're going to have injuries you're going to have guys go down there's going to be someone behind them that is fairly close to that person that went down in talent unless it's a lebron or ad um, but of, of the other guys, you're gonna, you've got a bunch of guys that I think can c- contribute, but come playoff time, if your fourth most experienced playoff player or is Juan Toscano Anderson, or you know what I mean? Like if you look at the playoff resumes of our guys, very, very little, very little of it. Now, you could have said the same thing in a lot of ways about the 2020 team that won the championship. There were a few guys on that squad that had not had any playoff uh, experience, although there were a lot more who did. Right. There were at least some guys amongst the role players that fit that description. And so I think it's important that we come out of this situation understanding that we still have work to do. We still have a player or players that we need to acquire to get to where we want to go. And they're not like super high level players. They are, it's possible to, to acquire one of them, but if you give up everything in that, the, the front end trade, I don't think that you can get it back on the second one. So when you ask like, where are we at? I, I think this is going to happen in stages. You know what I mean? Like, I think even that, but that next move, or I don't even know if it's the next move, right? But the big move is the one that's kind of the center of gravity that all of the other moves, including the ones that have already happened, are like, how do I evaluate how Lonnie Walker fits in if I don't know if we're going to have Russ as our point guard or a completely opposite player, like in terms of stylistically, you know what I mean? And so that could be said of of most of the role players. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm at on that, man. How about you? Yeah, man, there's so much to consider. And I feel like we're actually at stage one of the offseason rather than stage like three or four. Right. Which is usually where we'd be at this point. Yeah, it's it's just so tricky. Like, So let's go back to the offseason. Where the Lakers were in pursuit of Kawhi Leonard. They had already traded for Anthony Davis, but they basically had a barren roster because they had traded all of their young players for. Anthony Davis. And so they were in pursuit. They were in pursuit. They were in pursuit. And then boom, the Clippers deal happens. And that literally shakes the NBA. Remember, there was like a earthquake, earthquake that night. Yeah. In Vegas. Yep. <laughs> yes, there was an earthquake <laughs> that night. And then my favorite video of all time in, in hindsight drops right with Lou Will and Pat Bev and oh, uh-huh. the casino floor. Right. Like prices going up. Yeah. Yep. Don't talk to us. Yeah, we're, oh, we're yep, they never did get talked to. <laughs> the pivot was very quickly to a style of build in which the identity of the team was already in place. There was no third star coming, and it was like, boom, there's Danny Green. 
And then all of these other signings of, okay, we'll, we're bringing back JaVale, we're, we're bringing back Rondo, we're, we're doing all of this stuff. And the idea of the team quickly took hold that this is going to be a team that is just like, okay, well, yeah, look, Danny Green and like KCP and Avery Bradley and all of, and LeBron's going to do this. And you could already envision what this roster was going to be. And to your point, those decisions seemingly have yet to be made because those three directions that you stated are the third one, for example, the like, okay, well, let's trade for, let's potentially make a trade. Let's get rotation players and role players, guys who fill very specific skill sets that are lacking within this roster. What does that mean for LeBron? Does that mean LeBron's going to handle the ball again right. a ton more? Do the Lakers then need like a secondary ball handler who's not like a Derek Fisher type of guard, right? Who can eat up possessions in terms of bringing the ball up the court and throw up a fist or like a hey, five down or whatever action the team is going to run and initiate your set, but not be a ball screen player or anything like that. Those seem like decisions that are two or three steps away based off of the idea of what you want the team to be. And so I think it's it's important that you start off with the point of what does this team want? And history tells me that they want that third star. That star, yeah. Like, that's what history tells me, Pete. Like, we've talked about this in, in our text threads a bunch, but there's a case to be made. That from the minute Rob Palinka has been associated with the organization, which is shortly after Magic Johnson came on board, that the goal that the Lakers were trying to get to was they're going to recreate this idea of showtime and stars. Yep. And even the Kawhi experience you were just talking about goes, that's 2019, you know? That's and right. We've been trying about trying that for years now. Yeah. They, like, I, I mean, even before that, it was Paul, like, remember, yep. it was yep. Paul George. They were trying to get Paul George for a while, like in Paul George's free agency to pair with LeBron. And then that's why, remember, it was sort of a shock that LeBron came at all because the idea was like, well, LeBron's There's not going to go two. to the Lakers without another star, mm -hmm. right? And they had the cap space and they were going to try to get Paul George and LeBron and then they were going to make a trade for all of those young players and then put them into a deal in order to get the third star. And that was the original goal way mm. back when. And the same dude who's running the team now was in on those discussions in order to build out the roster. And, 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 and so I'm interested in what is the plan? What are their goals? And I don't want to speculate too much, but that's just my sense of where the team wants to go. I mean, do you... Do you think anything that's happened between that initial conceptualization of we want to re rebuild Showtime, have three stars? I mean, the year we won the title, it was a two-star team. Sure. And a bunch of D and three guys that that was the backup plan. Not only did we sign those guys, it was a very obvious, like, if we don't have Kawhi, plan B is Danny Green, Alex Crusoe, like all of those guys that, that you mentioned that we're going to be in this kind of two star. Everybody else plays defense and it worked all the way to a title. Is there any 
thing that factors into that equation now where it's like, well, why don't we just go back to that? Right. Why, why are we still chasing that third star? It's this good idea. If it's it, if it's a guy that fits, right. If it's a guy that is, and even then, like I look back at the, the Chris Bosch's and the Kevin loves and being a third star on a contender is often a kind of a clunky fit because you usually have enough touches for two guys to get like primary option type of touches and have like a one, a one B. But for that third guy, it can be, I remember Kevin love getting killed on some nights, you know, and even in the playoffs having nights where it's like, Oh, he's not contributing all that much. Richard Jefferson, I think in the 2016 finals took a lot of his minutes when love was injured and they actually played better in those small ball groups. Right. And, um, and so I don't know, is, does our experience, does our lived, you know, reality of the last few years factor in of like, should we be doing this at all? Honestly, I don't think so. Honestly, talk to me. I just think that it's always going to be a talent league. And I think that top decision makers are always going to want more of the top end talent because there is a Reaganomic sense of roster construction within the NBA. A lot of times a trickle down economy of, <laughs> of, of skill set, right. And guys who can carry a lineup. This isn't the NFL. There's not 11 guys on each side. There's five dudes. And the more impactful any one of those five players on the court can be the higher your floor is. And honestly, that was the idea around the rest trade. The thing that's changed is the injuries that the team has sustained and the idea of how can we better distribute the load that each of these guys has to carry. Now you may say that that's, that shouldn't be an issue for Anthony Davis. And honestly, like, I don't think it will be for Anthony Davis. Like, I think he, like if he's able to play 65 plus games and I think he's going to be a top seven player in the NBA. He's just, yeah, that, he just needs to be healthy. He's yeah. just that good. Like I've, yeah. like I've said this before, let's not mistake availability with ability when it comes to AD. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to LeBron, look, doubt LeBron at your own peril. So I'm not doubting LeBron, but, we're going to get to a point where even LeBron, and who knows if he's arguing this behind the scenes, I have no intel around that or anything, but, but I'm just saying. He's like, hey, man, about to enter my 20th season. I'm about to be in the NBA longer for like more than half my life. And That's so crazy. how about we <laughs> get some guys who can actually carry some of this more for me and I can shoot these jumpers. And not have to be the like do everything shot creation dude who's done this since I was like 15 years old. Let's take a break. I want to talk more about what it means to help carry the load for LeBron. I think the three star build, there's a version of it in thinking of those 80s Showtime teams where when they all fit together, they all provide some element that the three of them together is just really difficult to stop. Like magic was so different than Kareem who was so different than James and they were all big. And so that was helpful too, but they, but stylistically as players, they were different. And I think that that increases your ceiling. And so I think that the uh, having three stars, that idea of we've got, in a sport where only five guys are on the floor on each side, like having singular players that are just so far above the average player is really helpful. I think that improves your ceiling, but I think that what we saw 
in part last year is that your floor can actually be in peril in part because it is a five man sport and the two other guys on the court do matter. And I, I Mike was giving me a hard time about this recently about, you know, sending all, all that, like we've got 6,000 works, uh, 6,000 minutes worth of player not signed that was, that played in our rotation, 6,000 minutes plus yeah. last year. Right. That, and I don't even count Deandre Jordan um, who, haven't played. And so there were a lot of times last year, D, between injuries and the back half of the roster being really bad, where it was like Russ and at least three guys on the floor who are not in the NBA right now. And when you put any one player out on the court with three dudes that are barely in the NBA, that group's not going to be good. Now, that doesn't absolve Russ of his failings or anything like that, but it speaks to a certain level of when you've put all of your eggs in one or three baskets, as it were, that if you're so much more vulnerable to, oh, AD goes down, you're not a three-star team at all anymore. If LeBron goes down, it's Russ and AD and the merry minimums, especially with, with none out. Like, that team's not that good on paper, you know? And so I think that that's one of the things about this particular build that has caught my eye. But I do, in in that vein, I really like our 8 through 15 on this roster. And I think that we're, we would be more capable of like at least putting together a competent defense. Really, I think that's what it comes down to with the rest of the guys, like how you help share the load in some respect. It's don't make LeBron handle the ball every possession and create every shot and wear him down over the course of 82 games. But it's also like, play competent enough defense to where it's a tie game with five minutes left. LeBron can turn it up a notch a bit. AD can turn it up a notch a bit. Let's get this W move on to the next night, you know? So that, that to me is the idea of sharing the load and, and taking responsibility off of LeBron's shoulders is not solely a ball handling thing. I think team wide, our defense and our ability to just be competent on that end help, helps in that respect as well. Yeah, there was a thing that Darvin Ham said in one of his, when he was making the rounds of interviews um, after his his hire. And I can't rem- remember who he said it to. It may have been Dan Patrick. But and he was talking specifically about A.D., but I think that this also applies to, to LeBron. And he was saying that, you know, what we don't want is for A.D. to have to take fourth quarter shots in the first quarter. Mm, and I like that. My sense of, of what he was really talking about was is like, don't make it so hard on this dude all of the time that by the time you really need him to perform, maybe at the end of the game, like he's used up a lot of the things that he needs. Like you can't fire all your bullets so early. And that's something about AD too, where he plays so hard. He doesn't. I don't think he has particularly good judgment from like a risk risk assessment standpoint from a like he's either like if he's in that mindset of he's going hard, he's going for everything, man. Yes. And like and and so it's I, I actually really respect that, but it is kind of a, a light switch for him, you well, know. Well, that's also why, too. That's why you can tell when he's coasting. Right. It's so obvious. Yes. yes. So LeBron, meanwhile, is like the smoothest transition yeah. dude between like, oh, oh, wow. OK. Like he still got his numbers, but wait, is he is he jogging right there? <laughs> Looks like LeBron's yeah. kind of like not going very hard right now. And then suddenly he's back on. But AD will float for a while. And getting back to supporting LeBron, though, I do want to make sure that they are. And, and this is a point that Mike makes a ton that 
you have to support stars with competent role players who are going to do all of the role player things and not role players who fashion themselves as trying to be something else. Right. I was scrolling Twitter the other day and someone was talking about um, how Summer League can be such a mess, especially for big players, because the guards just hijack the game and they're just out there doing guard things and trying to be like, hey, look what I can do. And then someone cited an Alex Caruso quote where Caruso had made that quote about like, quote. like how he got to the NBA. And he said that, you you know, some guys is from the G League. The and, G League, yeah. And he was talking about how so it's like going to interview for a job at a company and you think you're going to be the CFO and they want someone to clean the bathrooms. Know what your role is going to be at the next level and aspire to show that you're capable of doing those things. Like I look at Malik Monk, for example. Malik Monk had a great year for the Lakers. Last year, he played on the minimum, and he played himself into a full MLE contract with the Sacramento Kings. Congrats to Malik Monk. Yes, hell he, yeah. He got exactly what he wanted, but that's the point. He got exactly what he wanted. He played for the Lakers. He made the minimum for one year, and now he quintupled his salary the next season. And what I want is a guy who's not necessarily making the minimum, but I don't want necessarily the role players to be like, oh, well, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to show all the stuff that I can do in order for my next team to pay me more. I'm looking for the guys who are going to support the stars in the way by doing all of the things that actually don't get you paid in this league. They're the things that win you basketball games. And I'll be interested to see how much this group wants to do that. My inkling is that they do, right? The, the Troy Browns and then the Juan Toscano Andersons. And we'll see even about Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker is saying the right things. He has not had a sure. history of playing that style because he was a different type of player coming out of college. But that's what I'm talking about when it comes to supporting LeBron too, right? It isn't just the ball handling, as you said. It's all the like, am I going to box out my guy? Am I going to run the lane hard? Am I going to cut when I'm supposed to cut in order to draw the attention that's going to do all of the little things that help position the team in a way where they're going to be their most effective version of the whole? And that's usually not something that you get from young players. That's something that we yeah. took a turn toward this uh this offseason is we signed a lot of guys to one-year contracts who were in their early to mid, maybe late 20s, but they're certainly not hoping that this is not their last NBA contract, and they're absolutely playing for that next contract to get paid. Part of the appeal of coming to the Lakers is that we are this top-heavy team, and we've got all of these slots between 4 and 15 that were open, and that if you can play a little bit, like a guy like Thomas Bryant, for example, if TB was able to stay healthy, he was probably an 8 $10 million player. Only reason he's here on a vetman contract is because of his injury history. And so we're able to offer a guy like that, like, yo, you have a legit chance to start on this team. And if you're able to stay healthy, like, of course, that's part of the, the pitch. And of course, that's going to be on Thomas Bryant's mind, right? And he's just one example of all of the young guys. We've got a lot of guys in our 20s who fit uh, in, in their 20s who fit this description. That said, I'm a little more optimistic about this group because in that respect, a lot of these guys, your JTAs, Troy Brown, they're 
wired in Damien Jones. Yeah, Damien Jones. Yeah, like that's what they do anyway. And it's what I think that there's a certain level of acceptance of like, I I am a role player. This is what I do. Like, what is your natural inclination? Right? Yes. And like Jabari Walker, who is drafted uh, by the Blazers, we Mike Garcia and I talked about him uh, on he was a guy that we really liked. And he just got converted uh, into a full contract. And he's Samaki Walker's son and Samaki Walker, former Laker, right, one with the 2002 team. And he was talking about how like his dad was told him like being a role player is not a bad thing. Like embrace it. You know, like yeah. so many people run away from it. And so many of these guys, it, it makes sense. They've been the star of their team their whole lives. And so the idea of like, do that little dirty work stuff that you're talking about D is kind of foreign to them. But I think a lot of our young guys who are also role players, that's what they do. And they've kind of embraced that. Stanley Austin Johnson. fits this too. Stanley Johnson. Yep. Right. A lot of those dudes. And, and so I'm a little more, I, I think that's an exciting combination to have the guys who have the youth and athleticism and energy to be able to go the full 82 and but also have embraced this is who I am. This is where I fit in on this team. I think it's a good combination. Me as well. But in getting back to the point of this entire discussion, those guys are still going to need to be slotted into place appropriately based off of whatever the next moves are. And those are the things that we're waiting yeah. to see at this point. And the direction that the team is going to go in is, I think, internally, they have decided, personally. And if you read all the reports, it's pretty clear what basket they're trying to put their eggs into in order to build this roster out and, and sort of complete the build. And I'll be very interested to see if they can accomplish that, I am one of those fans who I remain patient, but the longer and longer it goes, it's only natural, I think, to start to feel sure. like, oh, well, is something going to happen? Is it not? And then you do get closer and then it is August and then suddenly like training camp does start next month. And then you're sort of just like, OK, well, is this it? And then you get to the point where a little bit where like the Suns and the Pacers are a little bit right now, which mm -hmm. is like, hey, time to have some conversations with some guys around like this roster and what we're trying to do and bring everyone back into the fold. Right. And it's that old Phil Jackson saying about like how Kobe was like the lone wolf. But at the right time, Kobe would always come back to the pack because when it was winning time, it was time to win. And we're going to do do that together. Well, Kobe was a special dude when it came to that stuff. He can go out and hunt on his own. But then when it was time to hunt as a yeah. pack, he would hunt as a pack and he got the hardware to show for mm -hmm. that mindset. Right. Well, having some of the discussions that would need to be had if things if the elephant in the room just. Hey, look, the season starts. The and there's an elephant. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's still here. Hey, man, we're going to talk about the elephant. <laughs> yeah. So that's a real thing, too. And yeah. so I just want to make sure that we don't get so focused on what's supposed to be or what we want to be that we lose sight of what actually is right now. And that's sort of what limbo feels like, right? It's this yep. idea of, OK, well, here's the thing we're trying to get to. Will we ever get there? Oh, now look behind you, because that's the thing that you actually are. And 
living in that middle zone is tricky. It's tricky for fans. It's definitely tricky for organizations. And I wonder if the team has gone too far forward to go backwards still. And Mm. that's maybe a discussion for another day, depending on how far into the offseason we get and things look exact like they are now. Because the longer you go in limbo, you're not actually in limbo, man. The past is catching up to you and you are where you are. It is a negotiation, though, within your own mind, just as much as I'm sure that there are real negotiations going on behind the scenes between front office executives. It's a tricky time to be a fan, especially a tricky time to be a fan of the Lakers because of all of these machinations that we really don't know as much mm-hmm. about as we would like to think that we know about based off of reporting. And as someone who also falls into that boat, I just look at the elements of this and I think the fact that there's no natural time pressure on it and it's kind of contingent on another deal happening, right? Like the there have been a lot of reports that the KD situation needs to get resolved before anything else were to happen. And so like when does that happen? It's so there's a lot of elements of this that are kind of out of our hands too. And so I just encourage everybody to I don't want don't want to ask you to be patient. I would say calibrate your expectations toward this is going to take a long time. And it may end up without with the resolution that you don't want, right? I'm not saying that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I just think that it's going to take a while to get there either way. So just food for thought. Uh, everybody have a great weekend. We'll be back. Hopefully we'll have a full house early next week. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. 
and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.